bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Paul Dragu. Back in October, billionaire technology leader and EV tycoon Elon Musk called AI the most disruptive force in history. Today, we're gonna to talk about the economic, social, and cultural ramifications of artificial intelligence. We're gonna look at the good, the bad, and the unknown of artificial intelligence. And joining me for this conversation are two of my favorite colleagues. All right, so I got Dennis Barron, which is a publisher of the New American Magazine and the author of this terrific book, which I have read and loved. Well, not necessarily for the right reasons. It's called Endgame, COVID and the Dark State Quest for Biodigital Convergence in a Transhumanist World. I finally said that right. Well done. And we have our Director of Marketing Growth, and that is Sean Casper. Did I get your title right? You got it right, right. yes. So this is, um, this is a really, really important topic. We've somewhat touched on it here and there. Uh, there's a lot of information, and there's obviously a lot of unknowns about AI. But I wanted to start out with Dennis as far as the the positives. And there's a great deal that we're hearing about the positives, and that's most likely on the effect it will have on the workforce. So what impact are we seeing already from AI on the workforce, and what can we expect? And what's the good? What's good about that? Well, if we, if we want to talk about the good things that are potentially positives coming from AI, we have to think about the Industrial Revolution first, because this is our basis for comparison. I think that makes the most sense. In the Industrial Revolution, we had the automation of physical force. Yeah. So previously to the Industrial Revolution, physical force at large scale, small scale, and mostly in between was either done by human labor or by animal-assisted human labor. Right. And so and nobody bemoans the days when we were digging ditches, right? No, not at all. I'd rather have you know a backhoe for sure. Um, so this was very positive, and it allowed us to force multiply what humans and other animals could do physically with the force that they could apply to various tasks. Very positive. Now, with the uh, revolution that we're seeing with AI, that's an intellectual revolution as opposed to a physical force revolution. It's a revolution of the mind. So we're now adding force multiplication to the human mind, to human cognition, which allows us, in theory, to radically increase the speed at which we can iterate on innovation uh, in many, many fields. Uh, whether that be in uh, human-focused fields that are really on human interaction. So you're seeing the adoption of AI models for uh, customer service, mm -hmm. uh, which is providing much rapid, much better and more rapid access to customer service yeah. help when people need help, to development of material science, chemistry, uh, all sorts of things in the laboratory that we're really able to speed up the process of, of science yeah. uh, that will bring greater innovation, greater uh, capabilities to all the things that we use in our lives. Uh, so this is one of the great things about it that I think if we want to look at a positive, there's an, there's an obvious positive yeah. right there. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the folks, uh, the globalists there at the Council on Foreign Relations, they, in their issue from their latest, I guess it's from, what is it, from November and December, they, that's all they talk about is how it will close the gap. And for instance, an example is the way that Google Maps, for instance, helped the novice uh, cab driver compete with his veteran counterparts. Uh, and it says that basically this will make up for the productivity. Uh, I guess global productivity has, has been slacking, if growing at all. And this will come in and save the day. What do you think of that, Sean? Well, it's interesting you bring that up, you know, that's going to be an equalizer because goods have always moved to geographical regions where it's cheaper to manufacture them. And what's interesting right now is we all complain when we jump on the phone, we have to call somebody, we get a call center offshore. Uh, AI is going to eliminate that. We're going to be calling somebody. We're not even going to know it's a machine when it answers. Mm -hmm. 
It's going to laugh with us. It's going to reply to us. We're going to think it's a human being. It's going to be on a server who knows where. So what's going to happen to all of those economies that are going to be displaced by not having those call centers in India, Indonesia, wherever? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, we mentioned Musk earlier there. He said that AI will get to a point where apparently it will eliminate all jobs. And if you want a job, it's simply because it's fulfilling. Is that likely? I think that's inevitable. I, I would find myself really? agreeing with Elon Musk there. Uh, the, the course of development is rapid, more rapid than uh, theorists looking at AI 20 years ago even predicted. Uh, I talk about that in Endgame. I, I give the key theorist from 20, 30 years ago and his predictions and how we've out-accelerated what his predictions were. And his predictions at the time seemed pretty far out there. Yeah. We've, we're, we're accelerating this development faster than he envisioned. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, a realistic possibility. Even intellectual work. Yes. Art. I know that there's- Especially intellectual work. When it comes to categorization of knowledge and transmission of knowledge, you're talking about something that uh, computer-based AI can do faster and better than any, any human in the near future. Language models. That seems to be the watershed. Well, I don't know if that's the correct term, but that seems to be the biggest indicator that a that technology has completely changed. What do you, what is language models? Is it as uh, beneficial as they're they're making it sound like? I, I don't think we use any. Uh, I've considered using some for for trivial work and things like that. What do you think of language models, Sean? I think you've kind of dallied a little bit with them. Yeah, I've started to pull them into the marketing. Other people in the marketing field have been doing that, and uh, it, it's. You don't ever want to do something that, that pulls from your creativity and turn mm -hmm. it over to, to a machine, to an entity. Have you found it to be somewhat competitive, create, creative-wise? Like yes, very much so. In, almost on a scary point where uh, you work up your copy with your team, and then you feed it into the machine, and you're thinking, hey, we've got this. Yeah. It can't spin anything out better, and it does. And I, really? I think that gives us pause when that happens. Wow. And we've also, I, I think we have tinkered around with, with the... Uh, art sometimes and it seems to have done a, a pretty good job so would you guys agree there are some benefits like for instance uh, i i hear people whine about the fact that there's not going to be cashiers anymore i just don't see that being a bad thing because i don't see that as a good use of human uh human potential waiting in a queue at a grocery store is one of the most annoying things in the entire universe so you are for for automatic what is it i guess they're are they considered digital are they considered ai the cash register the self-checkouts i don't think really are ai yet yeah. maybe some back end ai i think the future uh you know for that we're going to see those self-checkouts i think go away i think yeah. amazon for instance has done some experimenting in uh how do you have a retail situation where there's no checkout at all so that you as an amazon customer can walk into a brick and mortar store pick what you want walk right out and the ai has been watching you evaluated what you had and just automatically dings your account right then and there. Yeah. Um, is that going to happen? I, th I think that's probably inevitable. I mean, that's, that's probably what's going to happen in the near future. That almost, in a sense, eliminates so much f human cost in terms of running a store. It almost makes even shoplifting irrelevant because you just, you just save so much on costs. So yeah. that's going to be a much easier experience shopping in the future if that comes to pass. But, I mean, there's so many different ways in which innovation can happen in retail it's hard to predict what that future exactly will look like. That's just the Amazon example is just one example, yeah. which I knew they experimented with, I think in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, in I was, recent years. I was telling uh, my wife uh, what we were preparing for. And as I was talking, I realized how awesome would it be to have a robot that cleans the house? 
<laughs> the Roomba. <laughs> well, they have that, I guess. Yeah. But it's I'm talking about like coming picking up the table. You mm-hmm. know, it's like all that. So it's like I guess I'm trying to look at the optimistic because I think in, in for the rest of the show we're going to look at the yeah. the what we know is is the bad, and then of course there's the big picture of what do we not know. Now you had mentioned shoplifting. Now another benefit some would argue is the safety that has been uh, has been provided thanks to surveillance and cameras and things like that. Obviously, there's a whole nother side of it. But I mean, for instance, uh, Steve uh, Bonte, who com- uh, often co-hosts, he was telling me, it's like, look, I've lived in China and I know that people won't like to hear this, but it's one of the safest places. So that that's a benefit, right? I mean, maybe not at the, not compared to what it costs. What do you think, Sean? Well, I'm thinking about that uh, Franklin quote uh, on, on giving up, was it safety for liberty? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's that, how you view that? <laughs> well, it's a concern. Uh, well, what's going to happen is, from a marketing point of view, is is we're going to be able to aggregate consumer wants and needs a lot quicker, a lot more yeah. accurately. Going back to the Amazon store, you'll walk through the store. Uh, they'll be tracking your eye movements, be tracking how long you linger at a, sp- a specific spot. Yeah. And then the question becomes, well, how do we push the house brand or the brand that we're going to have a, a yeah. better margin? Sean, we got to take a break. Okay. We're going to be back and we're going to talk about the bad. Folks, for more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate for as long about where policy and culture were heading than The New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. We'll be right back with the bad. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past and endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Welcome back, folks. So we're talking about the good, the bad, and the unknown of artificial intelligence. And we're, there's no way we're going to cover uh, everything. But 
it wasn't long ago, earlier this year, that I, I believe, like, what was it, a thousand AI leaders and experts uh, said that we need to pause the advancement of AI because it's going to cause uh, human destruction. Uh, Elon Musk, too, has said that, that it will somewhat uh, destroy humanity. Uh, what do we make of these dire warnings about AI, Dennis? Are they overblown or is there a lot of legitimacy to them? There's a lot of concern there, and there are two categories of risk uh, that I think are associated, broadly speaking, with AI. One is risk that is intrinsic to the technology itself, and that's represented by a new survey that re recently came out. Uh, it's results from the State of the AI Engineering 2023 survey, and that survey found that uh, roughly 40% uh, roughly the average AI engineer believes that there's a 40% chance that AI would destroy the world. Uh, but here's the unknown with regard to that risk. We don't know what an artificial general intelligence, which has not yet been achieved, but assuming an artificial general intelligence, which essentially has the intelligence of the average human, assuming that's achieved, we don't know if that intelligence would be hostile mm -hmm. or beneficial. Uh, there's no way to tell, but there's reason for optimi optim optim uh, optimism there. We, uh, for instance, have our own volition and are you know, generally an intelligent species, and we have not wiped out, we don't generally want to wipe out all other life on the planet. So there's reason for optimism that uh, an artificial intelligence would take the same kind of worldview. They wouldn't want an, you know, an artificial intelligence wouldn't want to just wipe out humans. So I'm this not is sure. all assuming, though, that artificial intelligence becomes sentience, right? All assuming, correct. However, now the second category of risk is what do people do based on their beliefs about the uh, impact of artificial intelligence in our already destabilizing world? And I think that's a much greater category of risk. I think that's much more dangerous mm. because we already have a baseline for understanding how people act how groups of people act, especially when those groups are uh, groups that have immense amounts of power and find themselves at risk that their power might be undermined. And we see that currently very drastically in our society right now. We have a very entrenched elite uh, that's currently running the world, or at least believes it's running the world, wants to consolidate its power and finds itself dramatically at risk of losing that power. And we see signs of that happening when, for instance, you see this constant drumbeat of censorship coming from our governmental authorities and aligned non-governmental organizations. Why do they engage in censorship activities? Because they find themselves at risk from the free exchange of ideas and they want to stop it. So this, this is a group of people, a group of elitists who find themselves in a position of power and at risk and they're willing to take actions that are detrimental to the rest of their uh, co-citizens of this world. And what would they do if they find themselves at risk from a world where AI is imminent? And what do they believe those AI uh, applications will be and what will, they, what will they do to their power base? This is the greatest risk that I think we face. Do you agree with that, Sean? 100%. And we're seeing that risk playing out in real time right in front of us right now. Uh, President Biden's executive order that was released last week uh, could possibly be one of the longest executive orders written. And when you look at the, the total control that they're looking to achieve with it, it's breathtaking. And it will impact us in the, in, the, in the near term very quickly. They want to use AI for every aspect of government. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that, uh, some of the things that could play out in real time would be, uh, they're talking again about uh, Obamacare, bringing that back, talking about nationalizing healthcare. What are the algorithms gonna predict? So if uh, I go to the hospital, and, and need a procedure done, what is the algorithm gonna say for me? 
Is it going to be, oh, I'm sorry, that's a terminal illness, we can't help you? Mm. Or are you a more member, a valued member of society yeah. and you get How's a different- your social credit score? Exactly. And that's the one thing is we're going to go from uh, uh, nameless bureaucrats setting these things up to pieces of to code machines. in the machine. It's really about the loss of, of human- We can't win it, either way, huh? <laughs> it, it's the loss of human agency. And that's the thing that concerns me is instead of like Dennis was talking about having- uh, discussions about ideas and, and how they impact us, these will just be, these are what the deep state wants us to do. And, yeah. and there'll be all these dictates, so everything we've built right into the algorithms. I was just going to add, they're going to use the full weight of the government's purchasing power to accomplish this. So when somebody wants to have a contract with the government, they're going to have to provide what these algorithms are going to do. And yeah. if they don't reach the mandates, then they won't get them. Well, then as you you paint a picture of like like there's going to be competition between the elites and the ai i was always under the impression obviously i'm not very tech savvy but that it's going to be more like they're going to partner like the elites are actually going to use for instance they use it in surveillance and i know that we touched slightly on surveillance in, in the previous segment but we know that there's a great deal of surveillance and we know that they're using algorithm and programs i mean that's been the case at least since edward snowden revealed that what 10 years back has that intensified and in what ways can they even increase those capacities for surveillance or have we reached a peak like there's no more they're listening through everything anyway right they're able to to patch in through everything how much more surveillance or is it now are we going to be heading into the manipulation realm uh both we haven't we haven't reached anywhere near the level of surveillance in this country as other countries have i think think it's pretty uh, well known that london for instance has far more security cameras than any other uh, city on earth, including any U.S.-based cities. Um, we have a ways to go to reach that level here in the U.S., and our geographical extent is a is a big uh, impediment to that, but that's coming. Uh, also, the ability to manipulate access and learn from that data that's being collected, that's what AI is really proficient at. But the biggest thing that I want to react to that you said is whether it's a competition between the elite and AI, and I don't mm. think that's quite it, nor is it quite it. The other thing that you alluded to, the emergent, the, the um, merger of the elite and AI, the biggest threat is what AI represents in the view of the elite with regard to population dynamics in this country and uh, demographics with regard to the workforce. Uh, so I think everyone knows who's listening to this show and is interested in these topics that we have a significant problem with entitlements uh, and, and wealth redistribution intergenerationally, which we do here in the U.S. via the Social Security Administration. So uh, we have workers who are paying into Social Security. That's not going into some kind of fund that is saving up for their retirement. That's being used to fund the retirement of people who've already retired. It's an mm -hmm. intergenerational wealth transfer. We have a demographic problem where we are going to have fewer workers funding greater numbers of retirees. This doesn't work out mathematically. No. And that's been recognized now for years. The Federal it's Reserve recognized has done, here. Yeah. The Federal Reserve has done studies on it. It's well known amongst the elite circles. This is a problem. Now enter the equation. You have AI, which is widely uh, expected and is already having the effect of drastically reducing the workforce. Yes. So we have a situation where the elites are looking at a problem where we have an intergenerational wealth transfer scheme that already doesn't work, and we're going to escalate the problem geometrically over, to, over the near future. What are we going to do? And what my concern is, and what I elaborated on in Endgame, this is really the key aspect of Endgame that I dig into deeply, uh, is that we've already seen in the COVID experience the division of Americans and really worldwide citizens between uh, essential workers and non-essential workers. 
This to me is dramatically terrifying. Yeah. Very, a few minority of people were considered essential and the rest were considered non-essential. In a world where we can't fund an intergenerational wealth transfer or what they would now call a UBI, for instance, universal basic income, mm -hmm. what do we think the elites are going to do with the non-essential? The useless eaters. The useless eaters. <laughs> and, I, and this sounds dramatically crazy, perhaps, because you would think, well, no one wants to get rid of all these people. And yet, we have the COP28 conference going on right now in Dubai. We have a team there from the New American. And what do we hear from COP28? The same thing that we've heard from the climate change aficionados for decades, which is there are too many people on the planet consuming too many resources, and we got to do something about this to ensure sustainability. Yes, we had a break. I want to come back to that because there's a lot there, including what Yuval Noah Harari wrote in his book about the useless eaters and what you know they may be thinking about. But before that, folks, The New American has just published our latest collector's edition book zine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. If we don't practice individual responsibility and provide for ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This Polished Collector's Edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics related to self-reliance. We ask you to go get a copy. It'll make a great stocking stuffer. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. After this, we're going to continue our conversation about the bad of AI. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com All right, and we're back. So we were discussing this, uh, this notion of What's going to happen to the workforce when AI comes around, or it, I guess it, it, it becomes even more pronounced, and how does that work with the elite's vision? Now, you wanted to add something there, Sean. We were talking about that. You know, it's, it's a fascinating point to me because they tell you never to bet against human behavior because you'll lose every time. And I'm wondering what's going to happen with the essential workers watching the non-essential workers get a paycheck for nothing. Mm. That's what I'm curious about. And how do you keep morale levels up and keep people motivated? Or how do you keep it in line? Is that exactly. where those, those police robots come in? <laughs> <laughs> Drones. <laughs> well, Dennis, what do you make? Um, some back time, some while back, I read uh, Yuval Noah Harari's book. He's, you know, he's a big spokesperson for the globalists, for the WEF. And he say, he comes out and he says, it, and he's not necessarily advocating it. I don't think it'd be fair to characterize it that way. But he says, it's like, what if we do get to that point where you're talking about UBI, uh, universal basic income? Uh, and what do we do with all these people uh, to, that are there to provide for? Is there, is this 
part, does this work with the elite's depopulation agenda? It's like, okay, we eliminate more people and we get the robots to do the work. The world works nonetheless, and there's still enough of, a, of them for us to rule over. Is that something, what, what do you think of that? What do you do? What do people do in that case? What do people drive value from? Um, and I think we already see what's happening there uh, in our population today. What do people who aren't working now spend their time doing? Self-medicating, mm-hmm. watching sports, playing, playing video, video games. games. Yeah. And I think the latter one really points the way to the future. And that dovetails with what the technological elite have all been writing about and talking about in any case, which is what they call in, in some terminologies the singularity, which is the transition from biological human life to the merger of man and technology. And, or if you put it in Facebook's terms, the metaverse, mm. uh, the uploading of the human mind uh, to some sort of digital substrate, which sounds completely science fiction and I think is completely science fiction. I don't know that that can be achieved. I don't know that anyone knows it can be achieved. But what should concern us all is that the technological elite believes it can be achieved. And we know they believe it to be true because they spend billions of dollars researching it. And so, again, Beliefs motivate actions. The actions may or may not be something that we want to deal with as a society. Some of those actions may end up being quite terrifying. Um, are, you know, you, are you saying that because that part of this push for a metaverse where they want everybody to have those stupid goggles on and, and they want us to sit inside and play video games, this is all part to get us used to, to being at home and to not contributing and to not being fulfilled. Does that sound, does that sound like it makes sense to you? Sean, like that's what it, what the push is. It it absolutely does, and it, what an elixir that is to create a world of your own where you actually matter and you are mm-hmm. greater than you think you are. Yeah. I, thinking back to sci-fi films like The Matrix, where uh, these people are living a, just a dystopian existence, but they go into the Matrix and they have different personas, yeah. different opportunities. That is yeah. that is tempting, especially with how um, how disillusioned today's youth yeah. is, and, and and you know life's pretty tough. I would say that we had it easier growing up, and uh, you know maybe that's just the old person to me talking. It's like he's <laughs> like you know when I was young, things were a whole lot better. Everything's so much more corrupt. But I, I understand that every generation says that. But I don't think you can deny that it's worrisome that we have so many young people, and it's not necessarily even young people, now we have older people, and they're still addicted to video games. They still uh, spend lots of money on video games, and they lots of time, and to, to, to the harm of some time of, of their family. Mm-hmm. And this has been building for a while, and it, but it is, um, it is appealing if you are somebody who's disillusioned. It's like, how do, what do we do about that? Like, what, does there need to be a campaign uh, where we encourage young people and pe- the next few generations, it's like, this is not life. Yeah, life should be a joy. I mean, it's sometimes a, it sometimes has terrible challenges and people go through some horrible things, uh, but humans are learning creatures. We learn from those things. We try to better ourselves through those things. In a future metaverse, just to use the Facebook terminology, all of that goes away. It becomes all artificial. And uh, is that really going to be something that we want as a, as a species. Do we really want to live in the completely always artificial? Do we really always want to live in the utopia that we design for ourselves at all times? I don't know that sociologically that makes a lot of sense. Psychologically, that makes a lot of sense. I think the chances are that's going to lead to a lot of mental problems for people, a lot of challenges for people. We're running really into a, a real big future dichotomy between 
what it means to be a human in the traditional sense and what it means in the future. And again, that's part of what uh, the Ray Kurzweil's of the world saw is the singularity, the transition. It's going to be very destabilizing. Yeah. Can you define the singularity? I don't know if you did it in the first place. I probably didn't, but the singularity, the way it's been characterized, and again, it goes back to a guy named Ray Kurzweil, who's one of the great inventors, uh, currently has been associated as an engineer with Google, lead engineer there. Uh, that's probably not his exact title, but he's he's been one of the great inventors of the modern era. Uh, and he defined the singularity as the point at which our technological capability with regard to AI and digital computing capabilities uh, and the merger of the human with that has gotten to such an extent that we can no longer predict or even visualize what may be what may like what life may be like after that point. So he's making comparison to the singularity of a black hole, which mm-hmm. uh, in physics you can't tell what's behind the event horizon. It's there's no way to know. He's saying that we, in in sociological sense, with regard to our technological merger with the human, we don't know what's coming after that. It's too it's too much of a jumping off point to predict. Is this worrisome for some people, Sean? Oh, I think so. absolutely it is. Uh, you, you think of all the people who struggle with sleeping at night and, and they're, they're going into sleep clinics to trigger, figure out how to get be able to sleep more. I'm wondering what's going to happen in a world where you're never offline, where once you have your, your implant in your brain and you're hooked up to the, to the, the matrix all the time, what happens to humans? What, what happens to us? I can't imagine it's a good thing. You know, I, no. I saw an interview not too long ago. Uh, Tucker Carlson did it with someone, and he was talking about um, how he stays sane. First of all, he says he stays offline as much as he can. Obviously, he doesn't. Uh, but also, he says that he goes outside, and that really resonated with me. Uh, we're here in rural Wisconsin. I know that at least me and Dennis here, we take uh, we we love the outdoors. We work in the outdoors. We fish, and, you know, I hunt and things like that. But I can say it's like, Going outside, there's something spiritual that happens, especially, obviously, especially in the spring and the fall and the summer, and you know, you run your feet through the grass and things like that. There is more happening. And I cannot imagine a world where living some sort of cyber existence is better. And I would argue this is real life. And I don't know at what point we peaked, and I don't know uh, how how we balance these out. What do you guys think? Well, I enjoy it when it's 40 degrees below zero. <laughs> and I want to make a real important point about that because I'm also a photographer. Because you're reminded yeah, that you're alive. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. In photography, I'm often looking for areas of contrast. I think contrast in an image is what part of what makes an image interesting. And when you go outside and you live in an area where survival is not assured necessarily and it's mm. 40 degrees below zero and many things can happen to you that could end your life really quickly. It's closest to death that you feel alive, huh? Absolutely. It's the <laughs> contrast. So, And it's kind of fulfilling because here you are, you know, you're created in God's image. You've given God has given you the intellect and the tools and the capabilities and the physical possibility mm-hmm. to be able to go out in that environment that he's created for you yeah. and to uh, engineer your life out of that environment and it's fulfilling. Yeah. It's what part of what makes us humans. It's part of what makes animals animals. It's it's just natural to us, and because it's natural to us, it's fulfilling. So I enjoy 40 below. 40 below goes away in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I lived in one of the coldest places in, in America, and that is Haver, Montana. Most people do not know where there is. I remember at one point it was negative 66 windshield. Now, I have never experienced that. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Atlanta. But I wanted to get out there just so I could see what in the world does negative 66 feel like, okay? So I walked out there and I'm all covered, but I'm telling you, it didn't t- It only took a few seconds and my face was already numb. My, the hairs in my, nos- the, in my nostrils were frozen and I started to feel this pain. Now, like you said, 
you don't get that in the metaverse. Now, is that such a bad thing? I would argue yes, just because it's life, yeah. right? What, well, do, you th- what they, do you think, Sean? You know, we've gotten to a spot where the, the game room has left the casino. And what I mean by that is if you go into a casino, everything in that room is designed to stimulate you, designed to ding, hook ding, you. Ding, ding, yes, ding. exactly. And what most gamblers have a problem with is the speed of the game. That's what's addicting. It's not the winnings. It's the speed of it. And all of our social media is geared to that right now. How many times have you found yourself just scrolling endlessly through a feed That's what trying to get to the next hit? Yeah. And what uh, what TikTok right now, how long is the average feed? It's, it's uh, I think the video is what, six seconds long? Yeah, they're very Let's short. Let's think about that over the break because yeah. we're going to be back and we're going to talk, we're going to finish with super intelligence. Life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. All right, and we're back for our final segment here. So what is the ultimate um, conclusion of AI, if it fully succeeds, whatever that means, what does AI look like? Well, if it fully succeeds, Paul, I think what we're going to see is the geometric uh, improvement of its capabilities. And what theorists have been looking to do and really push for in some cases is to first achieve artificial general intelligence, which I referenced earlier on in our show today, uh, is the achievement of you know essentially basic human level capability with volition. Um, so If that's achieved, the theorists who work in this field generally believe that because of the ability for AI to scale itself in its learning capabilities at a geometric rate, it will ultimately achieve what's called artificial superintelligence, which we cannot even realistically conceive because it's so far beyond what the human intellect could do. Um, You know, if you take a look at what uh, the speed with which computers can calculate and tie that with the amount of data that an artificial intelligence can Uh, contain within itself and understand, along with having potentially the achievement of its own volition and will. Uh, You're now talking about uh, an intelligence that can act and think and then act at a speed which no human or group of humans could ever possibly even imagine. And in that circumstance, what then becomes of humanity? Is it possible, because some would argue machines will always need, first of all, a source of energy, right? And even maintenance, right? I mean, you just pull the plug, no? Maybe not. So we've talking so far about an artificial intelligence system that I think, you know, to clumsily put it, exists in the cloud. So in a sense, sort of like vaporware. And it doesn't really have a physical presence that we can point to and say, look, there's, there's robot AE1 mm-hmm. and it's an artificial intelligence. Yeah. But that's also being worked on. And so I think the most famous example of that is Boston Dynamics and their dramatic improvements in capability with quadrupedal and bipedal 
automatons, which are not necessarily artificially intelligence, you know, backed, but their achievement of being able to generate movement and balance and intricate actions with bipedal and, and quadrupedal automatons has been really dramatic over the last few years, but they're not the only game in town. Mm-hmm. And Elon Musk, Tesla is working on an Optimus bot, which I think probably leapfrogs what uh, Boston Dynamics has done based on what I've seen thus far. Ford Motor Company was working on some of these things. I think that's been kind of kept kind of quiet, but there has been some breakthroughs that seemingly are evident there. And China is making this a dramatic part of its technological development moving forward post-2025. So uh, They're working in, on like robot soldiers. That's though, what I'm talking they? about. Yeah, exactly. So in the future, where you want to have a robot made, that's probably coming. Uh, and these things like will my be cleaning robot. Yeah, <laughs> these things will be easily mass produced. They won't be that expensive once mass production happens. Yeah, and uh, you know we already have robots working in industry. This is going to get better and better and better as technology progresses, to the point where our artificial superintelligence that we're theorizing, if that mm-hmm. comes to pass, will not just be something that's in the ephemera of the cloud in a mm-hmm. data center somewhere, it'll a thing, huh? but it'll be having access to physical activity in the real world, and. Um, that's like Terminator yeah. type stuff. That's what we're talking about. What do you about, think, I think, John? Well, I, I'm, I'm completely on board with what Dennis is saying, and I'm wondering how much are people willing to put up with to experience the level of lifestyle they have right now versus taking out all the power plants to shut it off and going back to the Middle Ages and, and living in caves someplace. I think that they're going to be more willing to give up freedoms, and we saw that during COVID. We saw people willing to give up huge amounts of freedom to, to be able to navigate in the system that they believed in. Yeah. Well, speaking of super intelligence, there's, there's been talk that they are going, that this is going to be so dangerous that the only way to prevent human elimination, I guess, in a sense, is going to be merging with this. Now, Klaus Schwab, of course, has said this, and I believe in one of his books. Uh, I believe Elon Musk with Neuralink is working on making us as smart as cyborgs. So it sounds like, is that going to be the answer? I think it's theorized as one answer. To me, it's backs of desperation, and it's not an outcome that I would want. I, I personally don't want to see that You don't that want a come. chip no. in your head? I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> and But, you know, here's the thing. Don't think about chips in the head. That's old-fashioned tech. Brain-machine interfaces are going to be much more sophisticated than that. You're not you going to need to have know. surgery to have this thing implanted in you. Uh, we're, going, we're going in a place that technologically is far more sophisticated than that and yeah. far more easier to adopt. Um, you won't have to go to surgery to get yourself uh, transported to, you know, a brain machine interface that takes you to the matrix. Or if you're a mm. DOD pilot, uh, to be able to interface with your loyal wingman drone flying alongside an yeah. F-35 in the future. Uh, there's going to be new tech. There are new technologies in the lab that are much more dramatically. Uh, who's to say that, that? Who's to say that we don't already have cyborgs running around or full robots that look like humans? I mean. You know that technology is always more ahead than we know of. Absolutely. We know that uh, we spend an awful lot of money that's unaccounted for with our defense department. There's a big black <laughs> hole there in the budget. We what don't do know th- what that's being used for. <laughs> what do you think, Sean? We well, got robots running around already? To me, it just goes back to an earlier comment with, with loss of human agency, the idea of a machine that can calculate out unbelievable number of outcomes is scary. If you're sitting in the doctor's office and the machine is thinking about uh, the the five or six different therapies that are available to you for a certain illness, and it's already calculated out your net worth and and who you are, what you believe in, and it reduces you down to that utility. Everything is is about utility at that point. And mm. uh, how many humans can pass that that level, that bar that you're actually really worth something? Yeah, 
if we get to this point of no return, and I think you kind of hinted at that, what is the answer? Are we literally going to have to pull the plug? Do we have to go back to the dark ages, no electricity or whatever? Like, has anyone, I'm sure these are conversations that they've had, considering that they're warning about it. I'm sure there's there's already conversations happening. It's like, what do we do if we do get to that point where they became sentient and they start attacking us or mm. whatever, they start trying to wipe us out? This is really dark. Uh, Paul. So <laughs> at one point in the end game, I think we I, only have three minutes left. <laughs> three minutes in end game. I point out there's something called the dark filter uh, hypothesis or great filter hypothesis, which is why do we not see any spacefaring civilizations? And uh, absent any kind of spiritual an- analysis of this, but what what would be one of the reasons? And if there are reasons, do they apply to our civilization here on this planet? And that could be natural disaster wipes out civilization, uh, war wipes out civilization or artificial intelligence causes the end of civilization. Mm-hmm. That could be the singularity. And uh, the question for researchers who look at uh, the great filter hypothesis is, did we already pass the great filter and that's why we don't see it anymore because we just were lucky and we got by it without running into it? Mm-hmm. Or have we yet to hit it? Uh, I think the terrifying possibility is that we're yet to hit it, but we can see it looming in our windshield. What do you make of that, Sean? Hard to top that. That's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I none of this keeps me up at night, and that co- that comes from from my faith. I believe I believe what it says in the Bible, and I believe I, I just don't believe that God would have created us to be wiped out by machines. I just don't see that. There's no hint of that. Obviously, you know, it could be a matter of interpretation. I actually don't see. There are some strange verses in the Bible, you know, especially in the Old Testament with revolving, you know, angels and, and spaceships or whatever. There's a lot of questionable stuff. So I don't know what we make of that. But I, I do believe that humans are made in the image of God and there's no way he created us to be wiped out by machines. We got a, a minute, 15 seconds. What do you guys think? Well, you really hit the, the, the nail on the head. That's the balance of it is one solar flare would change this whole conversation. That's right. <laughs> Go the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Dennis? Well, I'll, uh, I could I could uh, counteract that with some analysis, but I won't. I think it's nice to end on a positive note. And, oh, uh, yes. That's very kind of you. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it with that. Um, Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate you guys sitting in. And, and Dennis, we especially appreciate the work that you have done. Now, if there's anyone out there listening who does not have this book, get it. It's really good. Uh, even if you don't uh, believe in a lot of this stuff is happening like I don't, it's very, you did a terrific job um, footnoting it. There's lots of uh, cited sources over there. So you could go to jbs.org under shop. It should be there. You can get it, the New American too, right? Yes. Somewhere. Uh, it's terrific. It'll make a great stocking stuffer or a great way to start out the new year. But uh, you did a terrific job in this. Sean, uh, Dennis, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. And please join us again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>